Yes, it is. Okay. Join me in Jude, verse 24 and 25. I, my computer says chapter 1, but it's only because it has to have a chapter number. There's only one chapter to the book of Jude, verse 24, verse 25. I think... Now, I've come up to this verse several times over the years, but I think the first time I brought this to you was when I was candidating 10 years ago. It was on in January, 10 years ago, that I was candidating here, and we were in Jude. So I bring you back to Jude. It's been 10-year circle to get back to this point. Huh? Uh, but um, I'm going to look at your text in front of you. Some of you carry King James and New American Standards and ESVs. I know there's different ones out there. But um, I'm going to read it from the Amplified version here this morning because I was thinking I was going to give you what that version says and that version says, and, that, and they just threw it all into one pot. So I think you might uh, find this to be really cool. Uh, Jude 24. Now to him who is able to keep you without stumbling or slipping or falling and to present you unblemished, blameless, and faultless before the presence of his glory in triumphant joy and exultation with unspeakable ecstatic delight. Wow, isn't that great? I like it. To the only, the one only God, the King James adds the word wise there, which is appropriate, our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, splendor, majesty, might, and dominion, and power, and authority before all time, and now, and forever, unto all the ages of eternity. Amen. So be it. Now, if that's not powerful, I don't know what is. That's quite a mouthful of words, but they wanted to express everything you could possibly say in such a handful of verses. And I, I find it dear. We're going to look at that today, but we're going to ask the Lord's help first. Heavenly Father, we bow before you as a congregation, both in this building and over our internet. We know that you're with us, and we thank you, Lord, for that. We thank you for your word that we can open up right now, look at it, learn from it, apply it, and live it. There's so much that goes on in just this communication from you to us through your, your word and through the work of your Holy Spirit. And we want to be receptive today. There are so many things we know that will distract us, so many things that lie in our hearts. We have a lot of things that we are concerned about. But Lord, may we have the attention this morning necessary to focus upon these things and glean from them so much that helps us with our day, with our lives, with our Christian walk, and with our trust of you. So do your work and work in our hearts, we pray today. And thank you for just the joy of sitting at your feet. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I read to you now, New American Standard. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling... To make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy to the only God our Savior. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority from all time and now and forevermore. And an amen goes with that. 
Last summer I started thinking through and preparing a study for you that was to start today, and that was in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the function of the church. I haven't abandoned that, just so you know. I've been thinking it through, processing, and things that I needed to do. But for the time being, I kind of pushed it back on the calendar a little bit. Number one, to talk about the function of the church, you kind of need the church functioning. Does that make sense? It helps in the whole dialogue, but we'll get to that real soon. But um, I also felt that there was a need I wanted to address. Uh something that's here and now, or something that might be in the near future, and it really does pertain to the uncertainty of our times. And I don't know if you've thought about that. Maybe. Maybe watching the news, you've got a little bit of a concern somewhere inside as to what might be coming our way. Uh, We certainly have had an awful lot of challenge leading up to this day, and the uncertainty of, of the virus and all those other things. I don't know about you, but my mind has been packed with a lot of stuff. And it's been a challenge at times, but there are uncertain things. And I want to talk a little bit about that, but I I also want to talk about what is expected of the believer in uncertain times. What are we to do? I don't know if you've asked that question, but I've seen it. I've seen people addressing that. What are we supposed to be doing uh, as believers in Jesus Christ during uncertain times? Now, I am not a prophet. You know that. But I just want to underscore it again. I am not a prophet. And I'm not predicting anything for the year 2021. Right? Except that I'm staying out of the hospital. That's the only one thing I'm going to hope for. But... Uh, I've heard and I've read voices on Internet and social media and stuff like that. And I told the elders this morning, maybe I've had too many friends in Montana, too. I don't know what it is. But there's a a sense out there from some that we're going into some very desperate times. And they're concerned about that and and wondering what they need to do about that. And, And they're bracing themselves for challenges that lie ahead that they have not seen yet, but they think are coming. All right. With all that as kind of a, 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 I don't know, a kind of a atmosphere around the picture, I want to set you in a solid place today. Matter of fact, I want to spend a lot of time on this one theme, because regardless of what lies ahead, regardless of that, we need to not only understand our times, but we need to understand our God. And that's what I want to bring us to. And so I did pick a theme for this year. Uh, The goal is to lift our eyes off of circumstances and set them much higher uh, on the character of our God. Last year, there was a caption at the top of your bulletin, remember? He is coming. Uh The year before? Uh The Lord reigns, that is true. This year you see it, don't you? I put it in very big print. That wasn't because of my cataracts. It's just, I wanted you to see it. He is able. Three words. Three intense, power-packed words. But very important words. He is able. That's what I'm going to talk about a lot as we go into this. Now, I suggest you memorize that. Is that too much to memorize? Do the ten-finger 
method. It works every time. First three times you do it, you look at it, you read it. He is able. He is able. He is able. You read it three times, okay? Next three times you do it, you say it and then check it to make sure you said it right. Three times. He is able. You look it up. He is able. Look it up. He is able. Okay? The last four, you ought to have it. But you're on number seven, you should have it pretty well. Don't look, just say it. He is able. And by the time you're up to number ten, you have concreted it in your mind. Now, I don't know if that works for everybody. It always works for me. If I've got to memorize something, I pull out ten fingers. And I start. First three, I look at it. Second three, I say it. Then I look at it. Last four, I should know it. It works for a lot of things. Not much with shopping lists, but uh, a lot of other things it does. I just suggest this to you. Those three words, put them someplace where you see them other than the bulletin. All right? I, I've told you this before. My mom wrote it on the mirror of her uh, bedroom in her lipsticks. Whatever she wanted to remember it was written right across there. And I saw that so many times. Refrigerators are great. Right there where the handle is, right? Not on the side, because you know you won't see that often. Right there. Bathroom mirrors, perfect. Dashboards of cars, whatever. I want these three words to, to become words that you use. All right? And I'm going to have to explain all this, obviously. That's why I've got a whole series set before you. Why am I doing this? Well, Jude verse 24 has that phrase in it. It's right there at the beginning, pretty much, of this phrase. And uh, you know when I, I'm talking, I'm not talking about a blank check concept when I say God is able and then you can just throw in anything you want after that. Because that's not what Jude does with that phrase, obviously. He talks specifically about God's abilities, and we're going to study that out. But I want to work just with the three words today to set our foundation. All right? God is able. God is able. There are three things I'm going to address. First is what Jude says about God. Secondly, what Jude does not say about God. And the third is the application of it. How do we appropriate that into our lives and the circumstances, what Jude says about God? We're going to cover those three points. Really a two-point sermon and an out, uh, application. And that sounds really easy, doesn't it? You're looking at the clock saying, we'll be out of here in ten minutes. Let me start with this, what Jude says about God. We know the pronoun him. Now to him who is able, we know, we could look at this pretty easily and say, well, that's God, because it's identified back in verse 25, as you keep going with the same sentence. You say, the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And you say, well, that's an interesting description of God, isn't it? Generally, when we talk about Savior, who do we talk about? Jesus Christ. God is our Savior. Did you know that? It's quoted many times in Scripture, and we'll get to that soon. But uh, the fact is, we're addressing God. That's the Him. That's the pronoun that we are dealing with. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord. All right. Now, what does this phrase, Him who is able say. Let's pull it apart a minute. All right. If I say we're going to do a language study, don't turn off. All right. It'll just be a minute. It's simple. It's simple stuff. It's a participle. You know what a participle is? It's 
part of a simple? No? What is a simple anyway? It's a participle. A participle is uh, a way of describing something by using a verb instead of an adjective. In other words, a verb takes the place of an adjective. We, we work with adjectives all the time when we're talking about things as uh, a person. We could say, well, that, that person, you know, we see down the street somewhere. That person's a tall person, or that person is a, a short person, or we'd say that person is blue, or some. We use adjectives all. Why they're blue, I'm not sure, but you could describe them that way. We use words to describe their adjectives. But when you put a verb in there, suddenly that adjective is operating. The eating child. How do you know which one? Well, it's obvious. He's got the spoon going, right? He's the eating child. The, the standing man. Take that book and give it to that, the standing man. If everyone's sitting and one guy's up, you know who it is. Right? We use participles that way all the time. In our terminology of describing things, it's an adjective with an action word. All right? Now, as simple as that is, when you get into theological circles, like in God's Word, and you're working with participles, and it's set in the context of describing God, it is fascinating to me. Because more times than not, we like to describe God with the average adjectives, like wise or good or powerful or such like that. But when you put a verb next to it, it's fascinating to me. And this is exactly what you have coming to you right here. It talks about the things he does as well as his character. For example, I could say, like in Genesis 1-1, God is a creator, can't I? I could say God is a creator. Or I could say the creating God. You see, I just took that term and I put it in the verb form. The creating God. I could say the saving God when we talk about God who saves or the God who saved me. The saving God. What does that add to our picture to put it into the description of him? More than just his action, now it's saying his character. He's saving. He's creating. This is something he does. Here, it's talking about ability. The God who is, and there's your verb, able is able. This is fascinating because when I, when I like to dig through this, I always go for the tense of the verb. You, if you're going to use a verb, you've got to have a tense, right? In English, we've got past, present, future. Simple concepts. But this is a present tense verb. That's why is is in the expression that you're reading here this morning. God is. Very important that we see that. Because what he did not say was God was able. What would that imply to you? He may not be anymore. It's past tense. It was like some time ago, God was able. But there's no clue that he is right now. We don't know. What if I flipped it to the future? God will be able. What might that suggest to you? He might not be doing it right now. But down the road. We look forward to it. We hope for it, right? What if I say this? God might be able. Uh, suddenly you're like, wait a minute. I don't like that one, do I? God might be able? What about God should be able? 
Hmm. Starting to wonder, right? A little bit. Like, well, you should. Huh. Do you like it better this way? God is able. That means in the aspect of the word, it's continuous in nature. Continuous. There's no way to say is with an ing after it, really. Ising. We don't do it that way. God ising. God is in the continuous sense. In other words, when Jude wrote this on his piece of paper, God is able. That was true when he put it on the paper. The next day when he went to check his paper, he was going to put it in a mailbox, right? And he went to get that letter ready to send, and he checked the ink, and it was dry. And guess what it still said? God is able. And then he mails it off. Fifteen years later, maybe Jude wasn't alive anymore. In his day and age, it was tough staying alive as a believer during the 60s and so on in the, in the early first century. That was tough years. There were an awful lot of martyrs already. We don't know much about Jude, to tell the truth. Except he was the son of Mary and Joseph. He was the half-brother of Jesus. We know that's a fact. We don't read about his death. We have nothing in tradition that talks about his martyrdom. We don't know anything about whether Jude survived 15 years or he did not. We don't know. But guess what? The words never changed. God is able. And I can march you all the way through church history, folks. I could start with the doctrinal years of the 100s and the 200s, the organization and even the apostasy of the organized church in the 500s to the 1000s. We called it the Dark Ages for a reason. I could take you into the Reformation period of the 1500s, go into the 1600s, walk into the 1800s where we start to see missionary endeavors break out in all kinds of organizations. We see Sunday schools propping up out of here, Bible colleges all across the land, denominational distinctions, all these kind of things. You could go to the history You could go to the present. You could describe teachings, whether they're good or they're bad, how they developed over the last 50 years. But I can tell you this, that the words are still the same. God is able. That has not changed over all these years. And nothing in history has changed it. Get the point? Wherever there is a present tense, this verb fits. God is able. And guess what? Right now is the present tense too. Guess what's true? God is able. Has he diminished over the years? He's got some tarnish on him maybe a little here or there. Maybe he's slowed down a bit over the years. Losing a little power. Needs to recharge. No. You know the nature of our God, don't you? Does he ever... Lack in wisdom? No. What's the word we use for his knowledge? Omniscience. Omniscience. That means all-knowing, and that means all the time. We talk about his power. Omnipotent. All-powerful. It's all the time. We talk about his presence. Omnipresence. You know what? He's here. Was he here last week? Yes. Yes. 
Is he here next week? There's the next week. He's here. Because we associate with God's character the present tense. We don't say was, like it's over. But many times you say it was and is and shall be, right? It's just fascinating. When you start applying theological terms to these kind of things, it just keeps coming back over and over and over again that this earth and the events of this earth do not change his character. Do not change his person. Do not change his actions. He is able all the time. All the time. That will never change. Never. I want to concrete that in your understanding, and and that's why I'm going to keep on this theme for some time here, because this theological truth ought to become practical. It ought to be something we live by in our day. Not just a, a term to say, okay, those are three great words, but those are three great words for a Monday, folks. Those are three great words for living in a world like ours. We need them. So let's look a little bit closer at the word. Now that you've got the idea of what he's saying here, let's see what is that word able. What do you mean by able? Able is our word dunamai. You've heard that word before. We associate it with a thing that blows up a lot. Dynamite. Why do we do that? Because we like it. It sounds powerful to us. But usually dynamite is destructive. This word is not a destructive term. The Greek means Dunamis or dunamai talks about power, talks about ability. I like the word can, C-A-N. Now to him who can, how's that feel? To him who has power, to him who is able. Paul prayed for the Ephesian believers to understand this. He prayed for them. Travel with me to Ephesians chapter 1 for a minute. Put your bookmark here. Got to get a bookmark. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse number 19. This is Paul's prayer. The Ephesian believers. And, and I believe it's a very good prayer. Not only that, but I think it's appropriate to us too. Uh, and so when you start with, with this prayer, go back to verse 15 for starters. This is what he says. I want you to know something. I'm going to pray that you know something. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. Here's his prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Underscore those words. That's vital. His prayer was that they would know Him. And look at the rest of this. Verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling. What are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saint? And what is the surpassing greatness of His Power, there's that same word. Power toward us who believe. Now, this, these are all in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. 
which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. He wants you to know this. He wants you to see it with your, with your mind and with your heart and with your, with your eyes. Yes, senses are part of this. I understand that. That's the word we use for him. But he says, primarily, I want you to know it. Not necessarily know it by experience, because that's important too, we know. We learn by experience. We learn by, by uh, trial and error. We make mistakes. We grow, we grow, we grow. But this is an interesting word. The knowledge he's talking about is mature knowledge. Oida is the word for perfect knowledge. Almost. He's talking about the idea that I want you to have mature knowledge in who he is. That's pulling it up higher for us to follow through. That's what he's praying about, a mature knowledge. And he brings out in verse number 19, four terms for power. All in one verse, four different terms. Dunamis, of course, the ability of God. He uses another word, energia. You want to take a wild guess what that word means? It's energy. It's, op- it's operating activity. He brings that up. He talks about the, uh, what's he call it? That this is in, in accordance with the working. That's the operating energy. Of the strength. That's his force. Kratos is the Greek word here. It's when strength is exercised. And then he says, according to his might. This is cool. I like that word. Uh, iskus. I-S-X-U-S. Not easy to pronounce at times. But iskus is the word. I, I'll put it this way. It's what's in the tank. Whether you use it or not, you've got it. And God has it. Whether he uses power or not, this is the word that says he's got it. And so putting all these together, you're talking about what he is able to do in operation when it's forced out or when it just sits there. It's power. He says, I want you to know it. I want you to know it in a mature way. Not just simply, well, let's experiment. But grow, folks. Grow in your understanding of who he is and what he is able to do. We are to mature in our knowledge of his power. And that is logical, but it's also practical. The more we know of him and what he can do, the more we will trust him, right? That's what it comes down to. You say, boy, I have a tough time trusting him. Guess where I'm going to put the finger? How much do you know him? How much do you know him? I picked that up for our theme for 2021. I picked that for our theme. As I said, I want to take our eyes off the circumstances of our days and set them much higher on the character of our God. He is able. That's going to be our words that we use. And Jude tells us that, and we're going to talk more about that in to come. But that's what Jude says. What does Jude not say? What does Jude not say about God? There is a problem. I have to address this. Because it stands up on its hind legs and challenges every single time the phrase is used, God is able. You've seen this creature before. It frequently makes itself the center of the conversation. 
It often is the center of our attention, and it has one simple name, if. Sometimes it will use its nickname, but. And every now and then it will add the word although. It will say, God is able if. God is able, but. God is able, although. Have you ever seen that creature before in your home? It looks around a lot. And it gets into so many conversations. And that's generally where the conversation goes once that word is inserted. We start talking about the ifs and the buts and the all those. You've heard it said before. No ifs, ands, or buts. I'm going to suggest this. You have to add it to your phrase. God is able. No ifs. Ands or buts. Look at verse 24 again in Jude. Help me with this. I think you can. Easy Bible study methods right now. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Stop right there. Did you see an if? I'm looking at my notes closer. No ifs? Did you see a button there? No? Any, any exception word at all? Anything? Okay. And to make you stand in the presence of His glory, blameless with great joy. Where's the F? Where's the but? Didn't see one? Why do we add it? No, Pastor, it's not in my text. I did not write that in there. I didn't put a but in there. I didn't put an if in there. But have you ever put it in your heart? Have you ever put it in your mind? You said, Pastor, I, I know the theology, but... Oh, there it came. How quickly that little thing jumps up. It wants attention. It does. And, and I've got to tell you something. I, I'm going to read to you something from a commentary. All right? Well-known commentary, highly trusted commentary. I'm not going to say who wrote it. I'm not. You're going to get curious. You're going to go and look it up. I know that. Um, But this is what it said. Jude 24. This is the comment next to it. This well-known benediction contains a wealth of spiritual truth for the believer to receive. If we want to keep our feet on the ground spiritually, walk straight and not stumble, then we must yield ourselves fully to the Savior. He alone is able to guard us, but we must keep ourselves in the love of God. He is able if we are willing. Did you hear all that? Who, according to that quote, is in charge? We are. It alarmed me to read this, to think, I don't know how many people read this and say, boy, I love this stuff. It's really good for me. And I'm saying, but that's not what Jude said. It's not. This is man limiting God's actions. If we, we must, we must, if we, it just kept all over the page. But, but, but. And it kept putting man as the center of attention. That bothers me. Can you tell? I'm just a little worked up over this. I said, why is this? 
We are taught in Bible study methods not to insert words that aren't there. And yet, I think what he said in that whole passage is what mankind does. But it's not what God says. That last phrase, he is able if we are willing, bothers me. Because my willingness or lack of willingness does not change the character of my God. He is able. And I'm not going to alter his person or his character or his actions by me. <laughs> I mean, what am I? What are we? I just read these words and I say, this is not God in control. This is man in control. Here he has God on a leash. He's treating God as just a responder to whatever man is doing. Man is controlling his actions. I believe God is an initiator. I believe he's sovereign. I believe it's he who guards, he who keeps, he who protects, he who makes us stand. And all these actions are from his character. And he is able because he is able. And he does all these things. And I am a grateful recipient. I want to be a recipient. And I want to be a thankful recipient. But I want to make sure that I understand in my heart, God's the initiator here, not me. It's not me. It's not me. I want to show you something. I told you two points in an application. Here's the application. You ready? If you haven't felt applicated already. But here it comes. How do you appropriate this in life, in circumstances? What Jude has just said about God, he is able. I'm going to let somebody else illustrate this this morning. He's not in this room. His name was Gideon. All right, safe? We'll let somebody else be our guinea pig here. Let's go back to Judges chapter 6. All the way back, Judges chapter 6. You'll find it, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. All right? Judges chapter 6. Page 398. Does that help? Okay. Okay. Let's set the scene. The first handful of verses. Verse number 1. Then the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. The Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. The power of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of Midian, the sons of Israel made for themselves the dens which were in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. In other words, they sinned. God punished them. As a result, they were living not in their houses. They were digging holes in the side of hills and going into the caves and any place else they can hide because of the Midianites. And when it came time for Israel to sow, the Midianites would come up and the Amalekites and the sons of the east would go up against them so they would camp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza, leaving no substance in Israel. In other words, crop season, they took it all. And then they would also take the sheep and the ox and the donkey. They would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come like locusts.
for numbers, both they and their camels were innumerable, and they came into the land to devastate it. In other words, if you picture the locust plague, that was the Midianites every single year. They'd come and strip the land of everything. All that you worked for, all that you owned was gone. They'd just take it and walk away, and everyone's standing there without anything. Sound like a rough day? Seven years of that. That's what they encountered. So Israel, verse 6 says, was brought very low because of Midian, and the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Why does it take seven years? You ever thought about that? What, what is with people? Oh, I, I'll get to that sometime. You know what's wrong. They knew what was wrong. They didn't. Waited they seven, seven years. So they called out to the Lord on account of Midian. And the Lord sent a prophet to the sons of Israel and said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, It is I who brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hands of your oppressors and dispossessed them before you and gave you this land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not obeyed me. All right, there's your setting. Sound pretty tough, right? Now let's put Gideon on the page. The angel of the Lord came, sat under the oak that was in Orpah, that belonged to Joash, a Bezite, or Bezrite, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press in order to save it from the Midianites. Now that alone is a little comical, because he's trying to save his crop, but he's in the wrong place to beat wheat. You need to be up on a hill where the wind blows and the chaff goes away. He's down in a hole. So he throws it up and he comes right back down. So picture him, if you will, covered with all kinds of chaff from wheat. All right? he's, he's a mess. And he's out there, he's trying to do this because he's afraid somebody would see it and take it away. The angel of the Lord appears to him, verse 12, and says to him, Now, hold this thought. See the word angel of the Lord? Watch the way he talks in a moment. The angel of the Lord comes, appears to him and says, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Yeah, we laugh. That's fun. Look at that phrase. The Lord is with you. Gideon says, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us. What did he just do? I don't believe you. Circumstances are more proof than your word. If the Lord was with us, why? Oh, that always follows. Do you know that? You got an if, you got a why. You got a but, you got a why. You got an although, you got a why. Because you're looking at the circumstance. That's what he was doing here. Why? Why has this happened to us? Where are all the miracles? His miracles. Which his fathers told us of. And did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Look at verse 14. The Lord looked at him. All right. The angel of the Lord? Who is it? It's the Lord himself. Can you picture this? Gideon says, If, why? And he goes on to this, and the Lord just stops and looks at him. Like, don't you know me? If, 
you put an if next to me. The Lord looks at him and says, Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? And he said to him, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Because my family is the least in Manasseh, and I'm the youngest in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you. Is that pretty clear? You see any ifs in there? And you shall defeat Midian as one man. What does Gideon then say? The very next word he says. If. If. I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign. What do you do with the word if that keeps popping up in his conversation? If, if, if. God is able. If. God is with me. If. Isn't there a sense of doubt in that phrase? If. I, I, don't, I don't know if I believe you, Gideon would say. Isn't there allowance that maybe something other than God is in control here? The Midianites. The famines. The loss of crops. The loss of ant. They seem to be bigger right now. Isn't there a sense maybe of failure in these words? After all, God did not protect us from the Midianites. God did not meet our expectations. God, God did not act according to our desires or our perspectives. It's not the way we wanted it. So whose fault is that? God. That's the if that's popping out on this page. That's the if that Gideon set before us. God is able, if, but, although. Do we have an if problem? Just want to ask that. Do we have an if problem? Do you respond quickly to God's word with a but? Maybe God doesn't understand 2020. I mean, it was a complicated year, wasn't it? Zoom. I mean, does God understand Zoom? Does God understand this virus? Does, does God understand unemployment? Does God understand... How big we make our things and say, well, that's not what the Bible is really talking about. God is able, but... This is 2021 now. God is able if, and then we lay out our expectations of what God should have done. And if they're not met, guess whose fault that is? His. That's what an if would do every time, by the way. It will shift it away from the statement that was said about God and shove the situation in the place where he belongs. It does it every time. It does it every time. I want to read to you a couple of verses here. Some of them you heard just a little bit ago when the ladies read. Ephesians 3.20 Now to the one who is able to do beyond all measure, more than we ask or think, according to the power, that's that word, that is at work within us. How did it get in us? 
That's God's power. It's not us. The focus is not us. It's God's power. What can God do? You want evidence? Just look outside for a little while. Romans chapter 1 will tell you, here's evidence of what God can do. Look at creation. Look at what's all around you. That which is known about God is evident within mankind. It's because God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, that's a word, his divine nature has been clearly seen. Being understood by that which is made. So that we are really without excuse. You want to say, does God have power? Yes, just look outside. You want another display of power? It's called the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. How often this comes to follow other phrases. But Romans chapter 1 verse 4. Jesus Christ declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness. Jesus Christ our Lord. You want to talk about the miracle of all miracles. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It was a display of what God can do. And you want to get real personal with that? I want to ask you this before I even read it, because I want you to think about this. Do you believe what I'm about to say? It's in Philippians 3.21. He will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Do you believe that God will transform you into conformity with Jesus Christ? Do you believe it? God has inserted all of his power into it. I often read that and say, is this going to hurt? It just sounds so intense, doesn't it? The exertion of the power that he has He's going to transform you into the image of Christ. That blows me away. Wow. I can go verse after verse. Jeff started us with a handful of them here already this morning. What God is able to do, able to do, able to do. God is able. Don't follow that with a but or an if. God is able. So, let's start with the fact this year, okay? We have a fact right in front of us. And it's three simple words. God is able. God is able. Now, I'm going to carry you through this study. We're going to spend time in Jude for several weeks. Who knows what that means? We're going to spend time in Peter. We're going to start with Second Peter chapter 1 tonight. But here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to switch to chapter 2 in the morning when we get through with Jude. So you're going to have chapter 1 in the evening, chapter 2 in the morning, and we'll see where chapter 3 ends up when we get there. But we're going to weave these two passages together because they both have the same point. But they're going to use it in two different situations. The same point, God is able. And I want us to believe that with all our heart. All right? That's my endeavor. That's what I intend to help you with, help myself with. As we go into the future, walking down a road, we don't know what tomorrow might bring, but we know the one who brings it, that tomorrow belongs to God.
and he's able. Heavenly Father, help us with this. We have a lot to learn. We just started to, it's just started to scratch the surface of a very huge topic. And I pray that it helps us, helps us much to, to rally around a simple thing, maybe, but a very deeply profound thing. Simple words, but very meaningful. Help us with them today as we come to know you better. We give you the glory for all this because it's about you, not about us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.